Witty, thought-provoking, and uplifting, Southern Soul Livestream is a program that you'll invite your friends over to watch every week where you'll learn about interesting guests and get to share in their fascinating experiences. Tune in each Thursday evening at 8 p.m. Eastern to connect with guests from across the generations and to laugh with our eclectic hosts who are as charming as they are talented. And now, ladies and gentlemen, here's our host, Calvin. Well, thank you. Thank everyone for showing up and your support. And I'd like to thank all my fellow Vandy Commodores for coming out and their support. Uh, Calvin did ask me to be his first subject. Uh, <laughs> he has been a great supporter. I appreciate him. He's always willing to lend an ear and having a shared common background, knowing how we struggled coming up, but have found a way to make lemonade with lemons is what I say. Um, it's always good to be able to pick up the phone and have someone already understand the background and the backdrop of what you're going through. So I appreciate that. <laughs> oh, mm-hmm. I see these comments, but go ahead, Calvin. Get started. Yeah. yeah. Talking about lemons and lemonade, you remind me of another story. I remember when uh, we went off the, you know, we grew up country folks, right? Small town. Uh, we now live in a big city. But um, I remember Tracy went off to um, Vanderbilt and she came home and she was mad. She was frustrated with the family. She was like, they need to stop eating that pork and they need to take care of themselves and whatever. And, and I remember and I'm looking at her like, Tracy, you know, um, you know, our family, you know, country, we ain't, them people are not going to stop eating pork. But I didn't say that. That's what I'm thinking. Right. A few years later, we've had all of these epiphanies. And the great one is she said, you know what? I thought about it. My daddy didn't raise all of his kids on because he's a pig farmer, was a pig farmer and a farmer and everything else. But my grandpa, my dad didn't raise and sent me to college and raise all of them kids on being a pig farmer. How dare I ask them folks not to eat pig when that's how grandpa fed us. So that's kind of one of our stories that uh, I tend to joke with her about. And I don't know if you remember that story, Tracy, do you? You probably tell a little different, right? You probably said, I went home and I prayed for them and, you know, and I, you know, broke it down to them. I don't think she all that happened. I think she was like, y'all going to hell. Y'all need to stop eating this pork, but I'm just <laughs> no, going to put it out like that. <laughs> so, um, but let's go ahead and get started, Tracy. Um, please explain um, um, the background of your business, 10 Man Enterprises. And if you don't mind, for us who are not in your industry, explain to us, you know, the certifications, your capacity offering. Because, you know, I know you're in the construction industry. I know there's welding and steel and things like that. But, you know, break it down for us. If you don't mind, you know, giving us the history of 10 Man, what y'all do, and, um, you know, and just so everybody can understand it. Well, currently our firm does structural steel fabrication and erection. And I can think about some of the products that you guys would be used to here locally. Uh, We in the larger complexes, such as the Irving Music Factory, we did all the handrails. So if you go to a concert or when we could go to concert, if you went to a concert in that venue, all the handrails that you would hold on to to get to your seat, we installed all of those. We worked on stadiums uh, with the steel. A lot of that steel you may not see. It's the infrastructure for the entire frame or building. And we often work on schools and shopping centers, but it is typically the structural steel components. A lot of the huge decorative signs are steel frames, and we do that type of work typically. And we will do metal fencing. We don't typically do wood fencing. You know, 
thanks for that, Tracy. You know, and when I thought about it, I was reading, because, you know, I kind of see from a distance, right? I'm half the country away. But as I thought I was reading through some of the information about the company, I, I thought about it. And I said, you know what? Some of the stuff we take for granted are infrastructure, you know, our sidewalks, the things it takes to, you know, add an annex to the airport. That's kind of what your company does, right? It's the stuff that we don't see. And when I begin to see that you kind of measure uh, a part of your capacity in tons, I begin to realize, wow, these are the things that we don't see, we don't always touch. We may touch a fence, but we're like, oh, that's a fence. But I, I feel that we often take it for granted because, you know, corporate people like myself, we don't get to see infrastructure. We take it for granted. How would you describe that in your perspective? Well, we all take it for granted because I think I'm also in an industry that typically is not seen as very sexy, right? People think of construction still as a industry or a career of last resort. But when you think about it, when tradespeople hit their prime or become master of when journeymen, whether an electrician, plumbing, or the trades, they're making good incomes. Average incomes are sixty to eighty thousand dollars. That's kind of the incomes that you're not going to get straight out of high school in most careers. However, if they stuck with that within five to ten years of coming just out of high school without a college degree, they can make that kind of money. So overall, my industry in general tends to get a bit bad rap, and we can think about how many times we've work with a contractor who either didn't show up on time, didn't do the job correctly. Any, you know, we all have horror stories, even myself as a contractor have horror stories about contractors. So in the industry in general, we all take it for granted. We take it for granted on the roads that we drive on, the buildings that we walk into, that they're going to be there, they're going to be safe and they're going to be standing. But there's a lot of processes that go into making sure that we can enjoy the infrastructure that we all enjoy to make our lives work. Okay. Thank, thank you for sharing that. And um... You actually gave some more examples. Um, I'm definitely um, want to mention a history. I want to make sure we don't miss this. I love the history because I was around and I saw it happen when 10 Man Enterprises started. Right? It wasn't 10 Man Enterprises. I remember this thing where my favorite uncle, you know, was working out of his apartment. Um, he had all of his equipment on the back of his truck and. Let's say the day laborers, also known as our um, friends from south of the border, would often be accused of stealing his tools and equipment from his truck. I kind of see that as been a beginning of 10 minute enterprises, but I'm a little biased, you know, favorite uncle. Share with the team, you know, what was going on with you in 1999 and between 1999 and what's it, 2002? I actually lived in Colorado and I was... Um had done corporate sales and technical engineering for a variety of IT and data centers and startups. And so my brother would contact me and ask me to help him with the formula or something. Now, in my opinion, he's a better engineer than I'd ever be on my best day because he's more hands-on and he can know it. I think he just has that math block. So at the time, you know, I'd been laid off a couple of times at 27, I'm going to say probably was a pivotal time for myself because growing up, I was the last of 11, not 20, as Calvin said. Is it 11? <laughs> well, my Lord. 13 would have, but she had 11 live births, right? Okay. So my parents being older, they preached to us, go to school, get a good job. And in their generation, they went to school, they got a good job. They worked 30 years in one place. 
right? That was, and you got to go watch and you rode off into the sunset, but already in the late nineties, that was no longer the case. We're the class of 95 and below and to Calvin and his class, probably 97 and below that had already changed. Like that world really did not exist anymore, but we graduated thinking that it did. And we quickly found out it didn't. And so for me, if I'm a bet on somebody, I'm a bet on myself because the first time that I walked in and someone can hand me a pink slip, pink slip and my life and my livelihood changes based on that, what do I have to lose? Because really that was the fear of starting your own business, right? Is failing, right? That's nearly everyone's fear. And so if someone can take your job and your livelihood and your income away in the snap of a finger, what do you have to lose voting on? betting on yourself. And even up to that point, I dabbled in some little side businesses, but I think my business did not, or working in any business would not succeed until I was hungry enough. Because as long as I had that good corporate direct deposit every two weeks, I didn't do what it took, right? I had things to do even in my little side hustle, but that I'll be like, oh, I'll do it tomorrow. Cause I wasn't pressed, right? But when I got to my business, I had to get it done, you know, and there was no one else to do. And I think a lot of things that people tell themselves about starting a business is that everyone says they hate sales. But as a small business owner, that is your number one job is sales to bring sales and revenue through the door. I actually started when I decided to move back to Texas in 2002. I called my brother and I asked him if he'd like a business partner. And he was like, of course, sure. And so I miss corporate and I said, send me all your financials and all your mm-hmm. business documents. I remember that part. Keep going. And guess what came in the mail? A shoebox full of receipts. Mm-hmm. There was no reports. There was no nothing. This brother hadn't filed no taxes in a couple of years. I said, oh, my goodness. And now it was only have- two years. Yeah, Only two, two years. years. Okay. And I, I'd already resigned from corporate. I was like, I'm leaving. I'm like, oh, I got to make this work. So we did. And one of the things he also, Calvin, the joke is he told me I could do whatever I want with the company. I just couldn't change the logo. Well, oh, my goodness. We, you know, I was thinking the logo. The logo. <laughs> oh, my goodness. You know, Tim called me and he ain't here. But I remember one day he must have called me. He was like, she changed my logo. She changed my logo. In case y'all don't know. Tim's nickname was Tin Man or something like that. And he mm-hmm. had like this little character logo was like the Tin Man from the Wizard of Oz, right? This man loved that logo. And for some reason, Tracy needed to rebrand. And I remember, I don't know if I was doing an intervention, but I was like, Tracy, do you got to change the logo? Of course, she changed the logo, but we keep, keep still going. use it. We still use it. In, For T-shirts, in, maybe, right? T-shirts and other things, but not in corporate or for yeah corporate stuff yeah. let's say that. Yeah. that so 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 i give a a, a hard time but let me let me kind of give the backdrop the backdrop what was going on is that tim was running his business he was struggling because it was really more of a hustle and flow and he was struggling and one of the things that tracy did is that she said as she bet on herself she just it was around the time before the dot-com um burst bubble burst and I remember I'm sitting comfortable at IBM. And I'm like, what's going on with these people changing jobs every six months? I'm looking over at Tracy. I'm judging her. She's CEO. She's president. She's VP of this. She's changing jobs every six months like everybody else. And then things drop. And at this, at around that same time, um, um, 
her mother, my grandmother was coming of age. So she was moving closer to be close to her mother and support her brother at the same time. The benefit to my uncle, Tim, even though I remember it being painful for him, what he got is a highly educated, highly seasoned entrepreneur who cared about him and would be doing the best things for him. Fast forwarding to 2020, I think it was. And, you know, I asked Tracy to take care of my favorite uncle, I would tell her. And what she, um, since then, Tim has been able to um, not only have multiple, uh, what is it, Ford F-150s, whatever truck in in Texas, you got to have some boots, a pager, and a truck, right? So uh, I'm telling you, you ain't no kind of man if you ain't got no boots, you know, a cell phone and a company truck. But I, I give it a hard time, but life is so much better. I've seen the company scale and grow a thousand percent since Tracy um, came online. And I I love that because it's beautiful and I couldn't see anyone being as patient or understanding because, you know, I always joke when you ask for help, be careful what you ask for because you don't get the type of help you don't want. So I could see that Tim would have no better thing. And recently I think he's uh, purchased a house of his own, a place where he can have a comfortable place for his family and his um, grandchild. So it's a very beautiful thing. So uh, I, I joke a lot, but I just want to make sure I stay that and, you know, let's be um, so it can be um, known. So Tracy, share with me this, um, you know, this is women's history month. Um, and I wanted to really take this opportunity to highlight some um, uh, women entrepreneurs because there's a lot in a backdrop. I, I've been talking to friends about, you know, I call it this, different dynamics with, you know, the contemporary woman, the traditional woman, the, the kept woman, the, the woman who's like, I'm doing it on my own, you know, tell me, um, I got ahead of myself, hold that thought, but let's, let's, before we go into that thought, because I'm gonna keep that thought for the last, cause that's kind of one that can easily get into the weeds, but hold that thought because I definitely want to hear more about you as a woman in this industry and, a um, but I want to get some more company demographics first. So hold that thought. What's the size of your company, um, your demographic, number of employees? Um, you know, definitely not how much money you make, but just let us know about Tin Man and what you guys do. Well, and in terms of, I, I will share sales. We're probably, we're do probably three to $5 million in sales, but in our employees range, like we're coming out of winter, which is our slowest period. That's probably about 13 to 15 employees. And through the warmer months, like April to October, that number probably doubles to about 30, depending on the number of projects we're actually working on. Um, we work a lot with municipalities and um, public Dollars, And so anyone who's publicly funded, which has turned out to be a really good thing in the midst of COVID, you saw a lot of private projects just stop construction totally. American Airlines, for example, was in the midst of building a pretty huge hospitality center on the DSW premises. And that project, we were also a contract on that project, but it came to a halt. But when you talk about private companies versus public, probably about 10% of our revenue is from private work and about 90% is from public sector, publicly funded work. So your taxes do matter. It does matter to make sure that your local county, state and federal are spending their money and their dollars that we all pay 
with small and minority businesses. It shouldn't just be the Halliburtons of the world that benefit from our tax dollars. So that matters. So that's my plug politically. Thank you. And I don't know where to go with that. So I'm going to think <laughs> about that one. <laughs> so um, tell, tell me this education background. Um, what education are you most proud of? What do you feel that's really prepared you for your day to day as an entrepreneur? You know, I guess I can, I have to point to a couple things, right? Um, okay. Vanderbilt and then having that undergraduate degree, I had a pretty much was undecided going into college, what I would major on, major in. And I had to have a physical for like a scholarship and had met with our uh, primary care physician. And he was asking me what I thought about. It. And I said, I was thinking about engineering. And he was like, well, look up on the wall. And he had a degree in civil engineering. And so he said, the great thing about it, it's going to build you a wonderful foundation. And it's easy to go from engineering to anything else you want to go into, as opposed to coming in to engineering from another field if you change your mind. And I think that was great information because even though I don't do engineering on a daily basis, I apply those principles on a daily basis to problem, problem solving. Like I do not need to know how to do a particular process, but I know the questions to ask. I know the outcomes. I need to, I know to talk about what are our potential impacts and our customers and what are their desired outcomes and how to get there, right? Just learning processes has been essential. And I think one of the things that probably a lot of people may not know or remember is that I did go into the Army Reserves when I did graduate. And it was in the midst of doing a master's in actual telecom while I was in Denver. And so I never was activated or had to go full time. But even that experience in itself, because I served in an engineering battalion. And so that was in the engineering section where they're responsible for building the infrastructure when actual companies of soldiers deploy. So even that military experience was great, but I think the processes and procedures I learned at Vanderbilt were definitely very valuable. Yeah, yeah, thanks for sharing that. Um, and I think you did mention um, the majority of your education, um, mechanical engineering at Vanderbilt, um, telecommunications, massive telecommunications, and then army, some army reserve engineering, I think mm -hmm. is a key thing. The engineering discipline for me um, definitely gave me the problem solving, you know, they haze you a little bit and the confidence, you know, to begin to solve those problems. So, like you said, no matter what discipline you go into, I think that definitely um, helps you. So, um, so tell me about this, you know. One thing that I've also seen, and I've been proud of, all your awards, 40 under 40, I can't even name them. Um, um, you don't have a list of them, do you? Just Because I tried reading some and I couldn't even remember what they were. But what I counted is probably 10 entrepreneur um, awards that um, you've um, been receiving over the last probably 10 years, probably on average, I had about one a year. Do you have any one of those awards that are most meaning for you? Because I know you joke with me that sometimes awards don't pay the bills, but what, what's your perspective? You have a favorite one? Well, I joke with you because, you know, at some point, I think I felt like that's a really good question because I felt like certain entities, it was good to have me as a poster child. You know, this woman mm -hmm. in a non-traditional field, let's give her a award. We can put it on our website and then we'll get all this um, press from it. But I, I'm going to name two, Calvin. I'm going to say that this past fall, November it was, we were honored as an 8A graduate of the year through the Small Business Administration at 
for the SBA. That's a federal award. And so that meant a lot. Right. And it was for our region. And that meant a lot. And then we were honored by the DFW Minority Supplier Diversity Council, which is a national organization, but through our DFW chapter. And that meant a lot because that organization is very influential with engaging corporate America and the private sector in support of minority business enterprises. They do a fantastic job and it is a very standardized award. So it's not like just because I like Tracy, it's you're competing with other companies and there's actually a board that kind of a committee that's pulled together, reads all the applications and judges those. So when you win, it's a really, really big deal. Okay. Well, th- thanks for sharing that. Um, did you get any money from that award or just? No, but I'm going to tell you what that award does give you. The award allows you to go to some executive leadership training. You can shoot uh, Northwestern. Is that Kellogg. the one you did, did at Harvard or somewhere? No, I did Dartmouth, um, their okay. top business program. And then you can also do UC Berkeley. So okay. it's, I mean, the perks that go with it are outstanding. So yeah, wasn't per se cash, but there's some great okay. perks. Yeah. So thanks for sharing that. So, you know, another thing I was just, when I was going through your information, I realized that it was around 20 years, but I don't remember you celebrating a 20th anniversary in 2019. Um, 2002 was coming up. I mean, so what's, what's your perspective? And, and, you know, have you celebrated a 20th anniversary and what other type of company or employee awards um, do you kind of recognize what's important to you? Well, uh, 2019 was Tim's 20th anniversary. He started in uh, 99 as a sole proprietor okay. and we didn't do anything official, I don't think. And then my 20 year is actually going to be 22 because I started in August of 2002. And okay. so it just really depends on where things are. I think our, we like to celebrate the, I guess, growth, not only in revenue, because one of my mentors a long time ago, because it's really easy in this business to do, and I'm going to pick a number. It's easy to do $5 million in sales and bring home $50,000. I can go get a job for $50,000. You know, that ain't what you in it for. Right. And so it's really about profitability and making sure that that works because people will pass money through a business all day long, but it's how much you get to keep in your pocket. Right. And that's what I would tell any of the entrepreneurs who are thinking about it. We can talk about the big numbers, but really, if I'm going to keep 50,000 in my pocket, I really want to do a hundred thousand dollars in sales because $5 million keeps you up at night, how to pay people every week, how to pay your suppliers, how to pay your vendors. Right. But if you're going to keep 50,000 in your pocket, do a hundred thousand dollar business. Right. Cause yeah. why have that much headache? Yeah. You know, that, that that's a, a great example. I had the opportunity to work for an entrepreneur around the time Tyler was born, and I really wanted to work for a startup one time in my career. And working for startups is a whole different. And if, for in case nobody's ever done it, that's the type of business that asks you to skip a paycheck every now and then. So it ain't all glory, right? You do have right. to physically, I forget, they got a fancy name for it. They call it, what do y'all call it, Tracy, when they skip paycheck? I don't paycheck? know. I have my, <laughs> I, my 20 years, and I will say if I'm going to celebrate something, it's that. It's that. I have paid okay. everybody every yeah. week. Okay, you didn't ask your people to skip a paycheck. Well, furlough, ain't that what they call it, furlough? So, but anyway, 
one thing I discovered in doing that time is I got the opportunity to be what they call the second in charge. And what second in charge is, is you partner with the owner CEO and you ask them to give you their list of what keeps them up at night. And what you're supposed to do as they're in training second in command is to work on those things that keep them up at night. And what I learned was a lot. The key thing I learned, $5 million, $10 million, that's not the key point. The sustainable point for small businesses is to get somewhere around $20 million. And it's not that $20 million is a magic number, but $20 million is that number that says, hey, you may not disappear tomorrow. What are your thoughts about that? It's an academic number. Do you feel that you can be at $20 million and still, you know, you know, struggling, like you said, and not necessarily struggling, but like you said, but it's not, as they say, even a personal thing. It ain't what you make is what you keep, right? And the same thing with businesses, the principle you said. But, you know, academically, you know, it seems that $20 million could be a magic point. What are your thoughts on that? That number really depends on your industry, right? There are mm-hmm. some industries that are much more profitable than others. And I think it depends on industry, but I won't go with a number. I'm going to go with profitability. Cause again, okay. would you do 20 million in sales and walk away with a million when you could have did 5 million in sales and walked away with a million and the headache of getting to 20 million. Right. Mm-hmm. So I I'm going to stick by that. Profitability is the king. Cash is okay. king. Profitability is king, not sales revenue. Sales revenue okay. is for you to be able to go out and say, Hey, look at me, look what I did. But mm-hmm. for what? Yeah. I appreciate that. So a couple more questions and we're going to do some Q and a, so, you know, I threw in that fancy question about KPIs. I'm pretty sure you hated me about that. But what I really saw when I looked at some of your key um, projects that you were tracking tons as, hey, this is a large initiative. Mm-hmm. Have you started challenging yourself and your team on KPIs or metrics for the year? I call it fiscal planning. So I just created a metric, right? Um, for the last three years, I saw your tons per dollar number go from point. 12 to 0.14 to 0.12, right? So what metrics do you use to drive yourself? I think profitability is one, but um, um, if you step outside of that, you know, is it tons? Is it the size of project? What are some other things, you know, you use to kind of drive or maybe do some fiscal planning? Well, Calvin, I guess that probably might be an old KPI because one of the things we used to track was tonnage. But then I realized that the smaller handrail projects were more profitable than tonnage. Right. Uh, So a big beam may weigh a ton by itself. That's 2000 pounds. One of my um, guardrails or fancy little rails that we might do may weigh 200 apiece. But my dollar that I get to keep for that handrail is a lot higher than the dollar I get to keep for putting that steel beam in place. And so we had to change those KPIs and we look more at gross profit, number one, and we look at repeatability. We want, we have gotten to the place where we want people to call us and say, hey, I got this project I'm going to give you those last look, right? Because the good old boys have done it all the time. So you call me with that? Sure do. And I I'm, I make sure my team is very clear. You can walk in my office and on every computer, there are our business priorities. Because this is what I 
determined people struggle with the ability to prioritize work, right? My number one that everybody on my team knows is get money, right? And get money means get the money that can come through the door the fastest. In my industry, we already have a long lead time on money. Work that I do this month in March, I will not collect until May or June, right? And so if you get the opportunity to somebody say, hey, I got a check ready, I need you to drop what you're doing, or they say, hey, give me your new insurance card, I'll write your check, you do that. Number two is future work, right? We always have to be looking at future work. Number three are customer requests. Number four is vendor requests. And number four is HR requests. Now, they all adjust based on the day and time. If it's Wednesday at four o'clock and someone says, hey, come get a check, and but you got to run payroll, you're going to run payroll because that's most important at that time. But we're looking at gross profit. We're looking at doing the amount of repeat work because repeat work means we don't have to bid it. We can negotiate it and we're going to get better margins in that situation. Otherwise, when we're hard bidding work, if you say five general contractors are going to bid and each of them are going to get three bids, we're going to bid against 14 people. I want the guy to pick up the phone and say, hey, 10 men, enjoyed working with you. Uh, we have this project I want you to take a look at, right? That's the conversation I want. So we want to track that. We want to track um, how many times people are calling us and not using us. That's another KPI we look at, frankly. So it ain't all just about the money, right? The gross profit tells me how profitable a particular line of work is. But I also look at repeatability as well. You know, you got me by surprise on that one. I'm definitely going to follow up with you on KPIs because I see you have a lot of them. You don't only have them, you have them ranked. And I see you also expect your team to know the difference between what different metrics mean. And I always tell people jokingly, you never want to make it hard for people to pay you. So that means cash app or whatever, you know, give me the check, give me cash. But it seems like you found it uh way to make sure it's easy for people to pay you. Two last questions, I'm gonna open it up to the um, team. So COVID has definitely affected a lot of people. So I'm gonna just give you these two questions, let you ask. And then um, for the rest of you guys, just be ready to get yourself off mute um, if you have a question. So here are the two questions, Tracy. What has COVID, you know, effect of COVID and the, I can't even say the word, COVID had on your business. In addition to what do you consider the importance of networking for small business? Because uh, I definitely think you are a key networking uh, networker. So if you can definitely focus more on that question than the COVID one, I greatly appreciate it. Well, I'll, I'll go for both, Calvin. I'll try to be brief. Um, with the importance of networking, would not be here with the exception of networking, right? And over time, you know, 20 years, a lot of these people become my personal friends. And I actually, one of my favorite networking groups is my sister CEO group. They are four other women-owned businesses in different industries that we come together. During COVID, we were coming together every two weeks, especially as the new legislation as it relates to business support was coming out because we wanted to stay on top of it and made sure that we were prepared to take advantage of those resources. But that particular group I'm going to share with you 
has been a blessing because it's very hard to go to your employees and say, hey, I'm worried about making payroll on Friday. What you going to do? You know, nobody wants to hear that from their boss or I'm struggling with this or that. So having that group as a resource has been a blessing. Having that group also that we've exchanged and shared resources, right? Like when you can't get Wells Fargo to let you hold 25K, you have somebody in that group that can let you hold 25K, you know? And I would say we get to come to that group. We get to share on a personal and a professional level. We usually mirror after some of you all might be familiar with Vistage or EO. So we come with our business best and our personal best. And then we usually pick a company to uh, highlight a problem. Like if we have a situation in our business or a process or procedure we want to bring to the group, then we will troubleshoot that together. And having other like-minded or business-minded folks walk you through that, because sometimes we get too close to it, right? We were all smaller firms and our staff becomes our family. So it's kind of hard to really take a step back and, and say, I really need to move this person either out of the seat or even out of the business. But when you're connected to them, sometimes you're reluctant to make that hard choice. But when you have some folks who have your best interests at heart, but who are objective, they can make that happen. I say networking because yesterday a contractor we were going to use today on a project called us at the last minute yesterday and said, hey, I got a doctor appointment for prostate cancer. I ain't going to make it. You know, I got to network and call in my contacts. They got me somebody on the job site. That person came in. We were due to finish today at noon. We finished yesterday. The customer is sending us texts, love you, want you to work on all of our projects, you know, but that's from, cause I had somebody to pick up the phone. I could have been screwed, right? That's networking, right? I mean, and I guess the homeboy network never really goes away, right? So when you need something, if you're networking, you need to know not only other business owners, you need to know the people who sell, lease equipment, who support your industry, right? So I know y'all got one in the back. Come on, Johnny. I know you got one in the back. I Did we meet Tracy? Yes. We but, actually meeted you. So. Networking with other businesses is just key. I mean, I don't know as a small business owner how you don't network because, and I'm gonna, this is my last networking story. One of my fellow business owners were working on a couple projects together. I, not together. I didn't even know he was on a project. So he got to talking about a client not paying him. I'm on this same project, right? And so he shared with me the CFO for the owner that helped me avoid not getting paid. But if I was not networking, talking to folks, getting a pulse of what's going on in the industry, as a matter of fact, that GC had paid us and not had paid him. I'm not sure, probably maybe we were kind of at the end of our work, so our invoice might've been smaller, but still had I not even known, had I not been networking, talking to folks about what's going on in my industry, then I would have been left not getting paid, right? I would not have been able to protect my interests without that information. With respect to COVID, I'm going to say that for my industry and a lot of the industries that were deemed essential, revenue in the long run, Probably a lot of companies saw record growth last year, to be honest. That may not be publicized, but a lot of folks did, right? We never stopped working. But what was 
a problem was the fact that there was so much uncertainty in the industry and in the marketplace about what was going to happen. And we also were saddled with complying with COVID measures when that's not how you bid the work, right? I didn't bid the work that one person got to go stand outside, take temperatures, and this person got to go do this and that. That is not how we plan to do the work. So that was the biggest impact, I'm going to say, in terms of the uncertainty of it all. I do think that's one of the good things that the government did do when we originally went into quarantine was quickly established pathways to help small business. Now, the intent was good. The rollout was not. One thing that I learned and I had been through all my years of training and mentors have told me you always have two banks. You have a small regional bank where somebody knows your name and you have a big bank. Right. So Wells Fargo was my big bank, my small bank. When I finally learned what how COVID was rolling out, I said, hey, can you put my SBA loan? We did some um, renovations a couple of years ago, so we still have that. And he said, well, actually, the SBA is going to pay your principal and interest over the next six months. Don't worry about it. And he said, hey, there's this program coming out that I'd like to tell you about. It's called PPP. Go ahead and go on my website. Put your name on there. I'll keep you on the list. And as soon as it happens, we'll make sure you're in line. And sure enough, they did. And the day that small bank was funding me, that was the very first time Wells Fargo, my big bank, even ever reached out to us, right? And what you guys probably have read a lot about and is very true is that a lot of the large banks, because the SBA paid them a flat fee based on the size of loan. So if you're the big bank, you're going to go do all the $10 million loans you can do. Then you're going to come to the $10,000 loans, the $100,000 loans, and the million-dollar loans, right? You're not going to come look for 10 mans because Wells Fargo, Bank of America, and Chase cannot make money on that kind of stuff. So they went and found, you know, Ruth Chris Steakhouse, all the sandwich shops, and all the national conglomerates they can find who they actually, by the way the law was originally written, they were well within their right for seeking the money, Right. So the implementation was not done well, but it was a good thing that the government had put out those kind of assistance. They've done a better job this time around. And I will say another aspect of why the minority businesses struggled as much is because you had to have your paperwork. You had to have good financials, good documentations. Your paperwork just had to be in order to take advantage of it because the money was gone just like that, right? And so if you had to wait to file your taxes, if you haven't done this and you haven't done that, we got left behind. Collectively, it's minority businesses. That's a lot of what happened. And also not having a relationship with a smaller regional bank that knows your name and can actually make a call on your behalf. Well, well, Tracy, thanks for sharing that. I think that's a a blessing because I remember I had a few colleagues and who were struggling. They were so mad that they were mad of people getting, um, um, what was it? The, um, stimulus checks. And like, well, they got stimulus checks. Why are they, you know, not paying me. But, you know, I remember saying, Hey, stimulus check, you should focus on, you know, your PPP loan and things like that. But the struggle was real. And I remember some of the information you sent me was information that I was able to forward to people in Georgia. And that's another great networking story as I open up to the rest of the team. Tracy was so highly networked. She sent me a deck 
of minority small business associations that her colleague had been did that I was able to share with someone in Georgia who knew nothing about this information. Tracy, she's not in Georgia, so she couldn't really benefit from it, but she had that information. And I think that, you know, definitely plays to. I want to say, Calvin, that's a good point because the girlfriend who sent me that, she's a former government affairs professional and she had started her own firm, but Southern Company out of Atlanta, Georgia hired her to mentor and support their suppliers through the process. So she in Dallas, Texas, but she had a resource for Southern Company's vendors who mostly were out of Atlanta. So when you talk about that networking and, and that six de- degrees of separation, it ain't even that much, right? Because half of her clientele is out of Georgia and she right here in Dallas, Texas and had a lot of resources already laid out for what people in Georgia could do. And I don't even, yeah. you know. Yeah, that's, that, that's, I'm still speechless about that story. Thanks for sharing. So thank you guys um, for chatting. Uh, My time went more than I expected, but um, thank you, Tracy, for the discussion and the awesome um, um, pearls that you've shared with us. Thank you also for being my first person that would agree to sign up for this. I know I gave you short notice, but I wanted to get my whole agenda out. So thank you for, and this is, you know, one mic, one take. So thank you for showing up and um, showing support. So for the rest of the people um, out there, um, what questions do you have for Tracy? Um, and um, like I said, if, if you're a wise small business owner, you would be bugging her to talk to you for 15, 20 minutes about mentoring, but she may tell you no, but you know, that that's, you got to work out your own soul salvation on that one. I got a good question that you didn't answer that, Rich. Uh, Tracy, mm-hmm. who's your biggest customer, uh, large customer in your industry? Who are you servicing? Or can That's you share a that? Question. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't guess there is an exception to that. Um, you know, I'm going to have to go with the school districts at this point, right? Um, and I say Fort Worth ISD. Okay. So there's no... Um, larger telecom customers you're dealing with today you just mm, i'm not doing any telecom these okay. days it's straight construction oh i'll take that back i'm sorry at&t but it we're on the construction side for at&t yeah and i think tracy you also i remember you did some work at dfw airport right so they were like but it may not have been large financially it was large in name right so so what are some of the the household names at&t you know, I know DFW Airport. It just varies. Like natural grocers, you'll get some national change. We work for Lowe's. We work for Walmart. I mean, that's on the private sector side. American Airlines, uh, we've we worked for those who uh, live here right outside the airport on that campus, all the fencing and the gates around that particular campus, as well as um, some steel on one of their new IT building we did a couple of years ago. They've built quite a bit on that campus right outside the airport. And I imagine you're probably working as a sub to a larger company sometimes too, right? Typically. We we would only be the general contractor if it's a fairly small scope. Like you'll get someone like State Farm or someone who would want to 
change their campus perimeter and their so that would include all the fencing the security system that goes with it and probably some concrete so we would bid that and then we'd hire the electrical for the openers and for the concrete that we pour but we need to be 60 percent of more of the scope for us to gc it thank you tracy 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 Yes. My uh, my classmate. <laughs> so that's that's Bryce speaking right there. Bryce seems muted on me. OK, go ahead, Bryce. <laughs> yeah, I think Bri that was Bryce had a question. And then Karen also had a question. OK, Bryce, you can go first. My classmate, uh, we studied yes. together. We talked uh, Turkey, you know, turn of the century here when I know you were at uh, Quest US West and, you know, you know, I, I kept going on that telecom game with uh with Joe P on here as well, and you were like, "I'm out of this thing," um, and you had a vision. So the question I'm going to ask you now: What's your vision for the next five to ten years? What What do you see on your horizon? That's um, you know that, that where you want to take the business. I would like to take the business where it can sustain itself, right? It can scale. I want to have options in the next five to 10 years. I would like the ability to be able to leave it as part of generational wealth. If that, if that is an option, I'd like the ability to sell if to have that option anyway. But ultimately also the other thing I would like to do is make sure that we're helping to build more trades people, right? That look like us because we're getting left behind and we're one of the few, my particular um, part of the industry is still pretty white right now, but the rest of it is fairly Hispanic, right? And one of the things we're not doing is training up people in the trades. And so those are my visions for the future to make sure that that's an option for our young folks, that they have an option, right? Oh, I, I, absolutely, absolutely. I, pre I appreciate that. And, and you know, I'm proud of you, so. <laughs> yes, Bryce. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, Karen, um, next. Yes, Tracy, thank you, first of all, for being the speaker today. I really enjoyed hearing from you. I'd love to hear a little bit more. Um, you mentioned your KPIs. You mentioned one was gross profit, and then the other one was about repeatability. So I'd like to hear more about how you allocate time and resources to that repeatability um, who it is that you out, who it is that you sort of assign that to, if that's something that you own. Um, I'd just like to hear a lot more about that because I think managing relationships is one of the biggest challenges that we have as entrepreneurs. Well, I had actually assigned that to someone on my team, the repeatability factor, um, and just checking in and, and being a resource for clients, but that person's no longer on my team. So it's something I have to step into. And, and it, it really is not that difficult because without just being, just following up, like making those contacts and, and over time you get to know that this is this person's favorite team, you know, and building that repeated that relationship and that rapport it does take time but if that's some people just don't have the personality or disposition or not 
So uh, we, we lost you for a second. So you kind of, um, you, you said you had that person that was on your team, um, no longer on your team. I, I saw Daisy is on your team. Is that the same Daisy we know? Mm-hmm. It is the same Daisy, you know. Mm-hmm. And she's still on your team? Yeah, she just joined okay. us. She just okay, joined. well, I, I, I like Daisy. Daisy is a, a, a awesome person. So um, when I saw that, I was pretty excited. Um, but that's a side note. Um, but finishing what you were saying, but that person is not on your team. You had delegated it, but it seems like it's back on your um, plate, which is probably the essence of what Karen was going is like, hey, you know, it's only one you. And I call this the Michael Jordan effect, right? Where we saw that with Uncle Tim, where, you know, he has the skill, he has the trait, but the ability to train the next generation is hard, especially if they're not interested and they're not even interested in this generational wealth. But then you, as a, a CEO president who understands delegation, you then run into the challenge of, okay, who can I delegate to? And now that person's not on your team. So I think the answer is it's complicated. Is, is, is that fair? Well, you know, I'm a huge reader and an advocate for education, right? Because I didn't know what I didn't know when I didn't when I started, right? But every opportunity that I got a chance to grow, take classes, sit at the feet of those who've already done it, I took it, right? And even in that, I can probably, Calvin, as a takeaway later, I can send you probably my top three to five books that helped me develop the game plan that I have. And, and it wasn't overnight. It was like, hey, I used to wear all those hats, right? I used to be the estimator. Can I tell you the number of times men used to call the office and say, little lady, let me talk to your husband or your, and I put him <laughs> on the phone and, and y'all just don't even know my brother, but he's just as laid back as he come. He'd listen, he'd listen to whatever they'd have to say. And then he'd say, hold on, let me ask Tracy. Right. And so, but it's the industry that I'm in. And so I found resources and people as well as mentors and score and all the free resources that you have to make a business work and develop the plan. And one of the plans is you have to delegate to elevate. So as soon as you find someone to delegate a task to, and that became estimating, that became the bid follow-up, then you can move on to that next function to help take your business to the next level. So it was strategic from that standpoint. If you try to do it all in one day, it is hard, right? Mm-hmm. But even that's why those five priorities matter in a day. There's only so much you can do in a day. But if you do those three key things versus 10 things that may be important but are not urgent, your business is still better off. And that's what you have to learn about your business. What are the things that I have to get done today to make it work? I'm actually going to steal that slogan, delegate to elevate. I love it. We got another question from Lauren and maybe another question from someone else. I haven't seen you. Lauren, do unmute yourself. I just realized you had your hand raised for a second. Thanks for being patient. Um, you still on a um, mute. I sent you to unmute, but um, uh, I see you unmuted now, but go ahead. You can hear me. Yes, yes. I can. Yeah. Uh, good evening, Tracy. Thank you so much for sharing your story. It's It's amazing. Um, I just want to um, really kind of dig a little bit deeper um, in terms of the fact that you are a woman and a minority and just wondered whether you get the double edge of the sword from either a uh, people of color uh, who expect you to give them a deal uh, because you are a woman or because you are of color or um, facing um, 
systemic racism or, um, you know, um, down, others downplaying your abilities uh, because you are a woman and a woman of color? I, I think all of that's at play, but I don't know that we, I don't personally spend a lot of time thinking about it. I still go to job sites and I can tell you one this past year um, up north that we did and the GC, the not the GC, but the superintendent, the guy that we would be working for on site kept insisting, and it's a two hour drive, right? That we had to come out and interview with him. And the owner of his company, he and I went through Leadership Forward together. So networking, right? So I know the owner of your company, and this is probably how we got this contract, right? And so, but you, because I'm a woman of color and we're a small business, you want me to come to the job site to meet you. No other CEO would you be asking to do that. But I go ahead and I go, because he's saying that, and I call his boss and I said, um, we have a contract. I'm not interviewing. What is he talking about? We go have a good rapport. We get to the job site. We do a phenomenal job, which is what we're proud of. And now we have a believer. He's moved on to a different company. But now this same guy calls us and says, hey, I want you to work on this project or I want you to bid this work. So some of it is about education and how you show up in the room. Yeah, we can show up in the room and flip over tables and be mad that there are not enough women or enough people of color, or you can show up in the room and do your job better than they ever thought it could be done and get a new clientele. So that's my approach to it. Does it exist? Yes, it absolutely does exist. I, I would be a fool to say otherwise, but we do what we do with what we have. Yes, Tracy, I love that response. And what I would add to it is some advice I got from an executive when I was interviewing once. And I kind of talked about nuances, right? And that's what I call them. And I said, you know, you're from up north and you're down south and you've seen some of this passive aggressive energy. I said, how do you deal with it? And his response, it was actually a white guy, but I love the quote. He says, Calvin, everything you say is real. And he says, I don't know what's going on down south, but it's definitely a lot of passive aggressive energy that makes it hard to get work done. He says, but one thing I've noticed to be true, he says, nothing silences or puts to rest all of that foolishness, foolishness more than delivering results. That is so and essentially, true. And that's the essence of what you said. You said, we show up, we do what we do. Yeah, people are going to do what they do and they're going to play their games. And I, I like the way you brought that because, you know, I've seen, you know, sometimes people say, oh, that's not my problem. That's not my problem. I like the way you acknowledge it. It's real. And I like the way you showed how you, the example of how you experience it, how you navigate it by networking and knowing people and then how you deliver results and nothing puts to bed and silences that foolishness like they're delivering results. Don't get me wrong. Some people are going to be foolish no matter what, but I love that. Anything else you want to add to that, Lauren? No, um, I appreciate that. Just just going over and above um, when probably your initial instincts was, you know, I don't need to do this, but actually it demonstrated that you were a higher caliber and, and it's paid off. So thank you. Well, Lauren, thank you. And the thing I would like to add is we hear a lot about women in minority owned businesses and it's changed a lot because one of the tactics for majority firms was to find to either put their wife as the principal or the president so they could then compete on these contracts. A lot of the municipalities have gone back and 
actually perform disparity studies that allow them to do preference or race-based initiatives. For example, in the city of Fort Worth, and uh, some years ago, without boring y'all the details, but the law basically came out to say that you can use race or preferential-based treatment if you go through the process of proving that a particular group still has a low disparity and the districts and the cities here locally have done that. So most times my, the minority status outweighs the women-owned status because the women-owned businesses, if you look at historically, they have grown and they have been able to get a larger percentage of the work, whereas minority-owned firms are still getting single-digit when you talk about the billion dollars that Texas, the state of Texas and some of these entities spend, we're still getting single digits of that money. So those processes are in place to help minority businesses. And that's more helpful to me as a business than a lot of the women-owned initiatives. You know, thank you for sharing that, um, Tracy. I'm going to um, transition to a few more questions. There's a few more people off mute. I want to go to T. Lavelle because he's been waiting with his hands up. There's a few other people off mute. So if you have a question, do raise your hand so I can know that you're next. Um, I'm going to hang out here as long as you guys are here because, you know, forget about my agenda. I think um, the, the people who are, are appreciating the conversation, I'm going to still probably play music for about an hour after this. Even though my equipment is crazy tonight, I'm going to make it happen. But um, um, T. Lavelle, can, can you go next? And um, anyone else, if you have a question, raise your hand through the app or um, just um, let me know that you would like to have a question for Tracy. But go ahead, um, Teron. Uh, good evening, Tracy. Good evening. T. Lavelle, <laughs> DJ Emeritus. Uh, My former tutor. <laughs> WRVU FM 91.1 uh, in Nashville. Wasn't T. Lavelle everybody's tutor? I just remember that. <laughs> I think so. Oh, hey. I took circuits twice just so I could tutor you. <laughs> the second time too. I wanted you, to be good at it. I appreciate you. I wanted you. to be good at it. I couldn't yeah, remember you. Know, did you ever work. tutor me? I don't remember that. Because I probably asked. Probably indirectly. I, indirectly. I shared my, I shared my information <laughs> with someone who probably shared it with you. Oh, okay. I got the test file. That's all right. <laughs> there you go. He no, but uh, dropped out of engineering, electrical engineering. He tutored me. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I got the paper on the wall to prove I was there. I was there. Um, Tracy, um, I, I don't have to. I don't have to say it, but I'll say it. Uh, 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 tremendously uh, happy and excited for you. Uh, one of the things that that uh, uh, struck me or, or strikes me is that you know you often hear uh, when when people are giving advice about becoming an entrepreneur. Find something that you're passionate about and then go do that. I, you know, I knew you back in the 90s. Uh, you know, I, I venture to say you probably weren't passionate about welding and working with steel and that sort of thing. But you've, you have found a way to be yeah, quite successful missing. with it. It's going to be done and in a moment. You, you, you have found a way to be quite successful with it. So can you speak a little bit to how you find success even in, in entrepreneurial endeavors? even if it's not something that you're passionate about initially. Now, I'm sure you're probably passionate about welding now because it's you know, the results for you personally, but how do you overcome or how do you uh, uh, find success in a situation like that? Yes, I'm, a, I'm passionate, and this might sound trite, I'm passionate about excellence and succeeding, right? When you tell me I'm not, I'm going to do it, right? That's what I'm passionate about. And so what it is, 
it didn't really matter, right? It matters from the standpoint, is it a product or service that people are going to pay for and valuable? Because if you answer that question and you make it work, then you're going to have the resources to do what you're passionate about. Is it tinker with old cars? Go tinker with old cars. And you may be or maybe not sell it, right? But for me, Teron, to your point, maybe that in of itself wasn't, but I'm passionate about getting that wow factor, right? That you, I walked through that door and you thought, oh, here they go, making me work with another minority. Baby, they have said that, right? But I'm passionate about that when I walk out of the door that you are going to say, this is the best firm I've ever worked with. That's what I'm passionate about. And so what it is could be whatever. Tracy, thanks for sharing. I think T. Lavelle was throwing a little shade. He want to know if you know how to weld. <laughs> no, I don't. That's I don't. I don't question. question. <laughs> I know she can. She know all yeah. the <laughs> Thanks, thanks, uh, T. Lavelle, for sharing. Um, I want to give a good shout out real quick to my frat brother from California. Well, he's not from California. Well, yes, he is from California. Byron, are you online, man? I just seen you popped in, and you on the West Coast, man. I appreciate you um, dropping in there. Yes, I'm in here, brother. All right, uncle, man. And your uncle west of that. I hear him oh. keep talking in the background from oh, Hawaii. Oh, yeah, Uncle Walter. Uncle Walter from Hawaii is on there. I had to meet him because he was talking to the whole family. <laughs> so, so Uncle Walter, you still there? You have to, may have to unmute yourself, unmute yourself because I muted you. Um, did I miss anybody who had any questions? I see Keisha and Michelle are online, and I don't know if they have a question or they just okay. um, not on mute. I'm here. I, I don't know how to raise my hand. Can y'all hear me? Yes, we can hear you. Who's that speaking? This Michelle. is Michelle. And um, Calvin, I don't know how to raise a hand on an app. I am a bona fide, unashamed geriatric, but I am. Oh, very- my goodness proud of um, Tracy and it's been actually very enlightening for me to hear her talk about her business and even though I've been on the journey as a friend I haven't really uh, definitely found a lot insightful about your approach to work and your approach to your business and um, so yeah I've been enjoying it but I don't have any questions and I don't know how to raise my hand so also Michelle (laughs) thanks for showing for joining us from your voice I know exactly who you are so thank you for that um and I do uh, um agree with you um I if I wasn't close to Tracy I wouldn't know so many things she's done hello Demetra let me know if you can hear me hey I'm good how are you good 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 you know, I was looking for you in the chat. I was trying not to be multitasking. I'm like, oh, Lord, got to make sure Demetra got in. You doing all right? I am. You know, I'm here in Benville, Arkansas, and I ran to get some quick dinner. And I was like, oh, my gosh, missed my turn. And I was like, Whew. OK, but here I am. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> you know, we, we just finished a segment, um, a serious segment, but at the same time, a needed segment. And we were chatting about breast cancer, black women, healthcare support and just the challenges we run into when we see these nuances. And I know when your name came up and people said, you got to talk to Demetria. Am I pronouncing that correctly? Demetria. Yes. Demetria. You got to talk to Demetria and girl, I already heard that your reputation precedes you. They'd be like, man, you got to understand. 
Demetra, she don't take, I don't know what they said, but you, I'm pretty sure you know you. But, you know, I would love for you just to introduce yourself and um, tell us a little bit about you, because, you know, as we begin to pivot from talking about healthcare, we want to talk about other things that, you know, black women are getting into, and that is the construction industry. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Um, I am from East Texas, a little town called Athens, Texas. I'm the oldest of eight. I have six brothers and a sister. I'm a mom. I have five grandkids. I raise two of my grandkids. I raise a nine and a 10 year old. Um, I'm living in Mansfield, Texas with my husband, Christopher. And we, I, you know, he, he's running his business. I run my business. I'm in the construction industry. And he always was like, man, what have you gotten yourself into? But, uh, you know, but it is what it is. I love it. So, um, so that kind of wraps up with me. I'm an advocate for minority and women-owned businesses. And I, that kind of sums it up for me. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Well, you know, I'll give people the backdrop, right, as you kind of, you know, get in, because I know you've been rushed and flustered. You know, I love, you know, your backdrop, and I can just see the awesomeness, right? So I'm just going to do a little reading right now. Demetria graduated from the Tuck School of Business at Dartmouth. I can never say that word. I'm from Texas, too, by the way, where she excelled in their comprehensive minority executive and advanced program. She then has expanded her career involvement and membership in various organizations and tons of organizations I see that you're a, a member of, but more specifically founder of the National Association of Minority Contractors, DFW chapter. And in hearing about that, that was pretty cool because the first interview we did on the show was actually my aunt, who is a woman in construction in Texas, right? And she was kind of chopping it up and she's like, oh, yeah, I know Demetria. And, you know, so, you know, she told me a little bit, but, you know, she didn't tell me enough. But, you know, I would love to kind of hear how you even got involved in construction and why you decided to establish this organization in Dallas, Texas. Sure. So I got in construction, I guess back in 2009, it's right when the market had crashed. I was running a, another business from 97 up until that point. The market crashed. I had no idea what I was going to do. So I was just going around talking to people like, hey, you know, what about this? What about that? And I just kind of ended up at a, um, which happened to be a uh, black owned business, went into his office just totally, because I was doing um, document imaging, right? Converting paper documents to digital documents. And when construction came up, I was like, oh, maybe I can bring document control into this, into this industry. Well, it really wasn't anything there for me on that end because everything was already automated, right? So they were using Procore or different types of systems. So they wasn't really paper intensive where they needed their documents to be scanned to digital imaging and put onto whatever, a hard drive, the cloud, whatever. It, it just wasn't there. So what I did was uh, started doing business. I was good at business development. So I started working with some smaller companies and I just started getting deals for them. I mean, literally. So when it happened, 
the, the larger company was like, hey, you need to come over here and work with me. And I was like, okay, but I knew nothing about construction. I knew nothing about what a general contractor did, construction management, subcontractors, trade contractors. I had no idea, but once I got in it, I loved it. I love the challenge because people that look like me really wasn't in this industry. And people that look like me wasn't really as aggressive. They're like, oh my gosh, where did this woman come from? But, you know, but I loved it. It was a challenge. It was the not knowing. And it was just, you know, just the constructiveness of construction, right? <laughs> so, um, so that's basically how I got it. When the market crashed, I needed something else to do. And I worked for that, that company for about three years. And then I've been doing DLB for the last eight years. Awesome. Awesome. And so when, and then as far as NAMAC, which is the National Association of Minority Contractors, the DFW chapter, during that time, I guess it was back in 2010, I went to Houston to an event okay. and it was a national conference that NAMAC was doing. But while I was there, it was like a lot of people from Dallas and Fort Worth was down in Houston. And I'm like, why? you know, why are all these people here and we don't have a chapter in Dallas, Fort Worth? And, you know, you know, cause I got pushed back. Hour, right? What was that? About five, four or five hour drive, right? Yeah. It was a four hour drive, okay. <laughs> you know? So yeah, but everybody was there, but I mean, Dallas, Fort Worth, I mean, we're a large metropolitan, right? So why wouldn't we have a name at? You know, and there was like you had other associations out there, the RBC, regional black contractors, you had the regional Hispanic contractors, you know, you had all the, the Asian American, but there was not a NAMAC. In NAMAC, we represent all ethnicities, you know, all minorities and women on. I mean, we, we represent everybody. But um, so I just kind of jumped in there. Matter of fact, your aunt was um, she was one of the founding members as well. Tracy was so. So we were, um, so we just kind of got it started and, and it just grew. Here we are six and a half years, March would be seven years since NAMAC DFW has been around. Um, you know, we were the newbie on the block. So we're getting ready to celebrate our third annual Golden Shovels Award, where we're going to recognize project of the year, uh, small disadvantaged business of the year. I mean, it's just Trans transformation businesses of the year, like uh, pre-COVID, like who was out there pre-COVID, who's still there after COVID, and you know what do they do? So, and where are they? What are they? Where are they going? And what do they do now? So, we, um, you know, it, you know, NAMAC is just a wonderful organization. I, you know, we went down to Miami Lakes, got it approved, um, and we just, I mean, just made it happen. We just made it happen. And it's, it hasn't been easy. I'll tell you, it has not been easy. We haven't had like a full staff. We here recently hired a full-time, um, our member, a business and member service officer, uh, Gary Sherrard, which I'm very excited to have him on board. Um, so, you know, like I said, Thursday, October 27th, we'll be at Globe Life and having this wonderful event. Awesome. Awesome. You know, thank you for sharing that because, you know, watching through family, right, and observing these things that, you know, sometimes people will take for granted, right? I could only imagine, because I've heard a few stories, right, through my aunt, that as you stepped into this organization, you found all kinds of things that were organizations, you know, minority contractors were experiencing, right? Tell us about some of the offerings of NAMAC. Like, how do you guys support, you know, minority contractors? And I think one of the key things is like, if you guys didn't exist, 
what would be the challenges of minority contractors in the DFW area? Well, it would be the same old, same old. You know, it's, and I'm going to try to be very careful, but still try to still be me during this uh, interview. You know, it would be tough because- I love, I love being me, right? So yeah. feel free to be yourself. We are recording, okay. so just realize you may have to listen to yourself again, but that's okay. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, I think if it wasn't a NAMAC, you wouldn't find those businesses like a DLB, a Demetria. Um, you know, you wouldn't find those electrical companies like a UPC or, you know, just the smaller contractors that's not in that mainstream, right? So with NAMAC, you know, we're there for everybody and we're always looking for those opportunities. You know, we follow the money or, you know, me from a business development perspective for NAMAC, we go follow the money. We bring in those major corporate partners, those larger GCs, we bring in those owners. We follow the bond money. You know, there's a lot, I mean, there's billions of dollars out here right now, just in North Texas, where we're gonna have to figure, and, and just one right now, one project right now is 2.6 billion. And they're gonna have to spend about, to, in order to meet those goals, the minority and women-owned business goals and the hub goals, they're gonna have to spend about $348 million. Wow. So what we do at NAMAC, we create programs. You know, We have NAMAC University, here recently, we brought in a young guy that came in and he was talking about how to respond to an RFP, a request for a proposal, you know, help help people read through those proposals. How do you respond to those proposals? You know, we bring in safety, project management, uh, what are estimating? So everything that it takes to really run a project, we bring those programs in to really help build that capacity and that knowledge for our members. So without NAMAC, I just think North Texas really would be, I mean, it would be in a pickle right now because there's, you know, we we kind of, we're innovative. We think out the box. They have Demetria that I don't mind going and knocking on those doors and bringing in people to support us. You know, we started out, like I said, it was, it was zero. We started with nothing, no board, no nothing. So when it picked up the board, we we had to go on and, and, and you know, pitch to these people like, look, we're, we're serious. We're going to be here. And this is what we're doing. Well, you know, thanks for sharing that, because as you were speaking, you know, I just kept sensing this community, community, community. And I know what it's like to have to start from scratch all by yourself and nobody around gets it. Nobody around understands it. And the opportunity for this new contractor to come in and have some people who can support him through the process. Because I can tell, and what I've heard is that I like when you said be myself, is I heard your personality is one of those that get things done, right? And sometimes you may have people in small business, they just got an idea. They just got a hope and they have a dream. But to be able to have not only you, but an organization like NAMAC that you established the chapter in DFW to be able, I mean, to me, that gives me confidence. That gives me community. And we were just talking about representation because I can only imagine with that, what, $3 billion contract? Yeah, they were going to send that money randomly to some whatever people versus <laughs> I'm pretty sure you guys are keeping an eye on what's happening and making sure. Tell me this. What are some of the challenges that you've kind of seen, you know, for the construction industry, you know, in the DFW area since you've been there? Give us some example, because, you know, we're a nationwide audience, right? We got people in L.A., we, um, 
the Midwest, you know, New York, Virginia. And what I often tell people is a lot of times we really don't know what's going on two hours down the street, much less I'm in Georgia, right? I mean, that's like five states away. So we got different challenges. But when you watch closely, the challenges have a theme. Tell us about what's going on in, in North Texas when it comes to construction and minorities. What problems are you guys facing? You know, it's just, um, you know, getting more than the crumbs. You know, we, you, you have these goals. And, you know, and I want to just go back, take a step back. You know, NAMAC is a national organization. It was founded back in 1969 in Oakland, California. Okay. So we have 23 chapters around the country. There's one in Atlanta. There's one in California. There's two in Ohio. There's Philly. There's Chicago. So they're around. But the, but the problem isn't just in North Texas. I think it's all over. Mm-hmm. You know, it is all over. There's there's uh, access to capital. You know, we can't get the money that we need. You know, when you start a project, especially on the construction side, you are waiting anywhere 60, 90, 120 days just to get paid. And if you self-perform, you're already spending money. You buy equipment. Those workers, your laborers are wanting their paychecks on that Friday. So you have to make sure that you have that cash flow. So cash flow is a problem. I think the other problem is the other problem is us, you know, because being a black contractor, not all black contractors are supporting other black contractors. So some of them, when they get on a project, you know, got this thing going around called joint ventures. Mm -hmm. So once they get on as a prime contractor, it's like, oh, we good. You know, they're not reaching back and, and bringing other people up. So that's where N- a NAMAC will come in or, or similar associations that want to look out for other black and brown contractors. You want to be able to lift those contractors up. Um, but the main thing that you will always hear about is access to capital, because the first thing that they're going to say is, is, oh, they have no capacity, but they have no capacity. But what does that really mean? Right. If, if we're going to start a job and I'm financing your job for 120 days, how the heck am I not having capacity when I'm financing your job? That means I can't keep building my company because I'm having to wait to get paid. You know, and I don't know if everybody agree with that, but I'm sure 99 percent of people are will agree with that. Well, you know, thanks for sharing that, because you definitely paint the picture and I can begin to see the pieces. Right. We, we've heard about access to capital for small businesses, meaning you got to have money to even operate, right? And what happens is when you're in construction, that's physical product, which means if you're going to work on, I don't know, let's say a 500K project, you may have to buy 200K in materials. But what you need, where are you going to get 200K from? Cash flow, right? And for the 200K, what, you got to get a bank loan. But if the bank is not giving you a loan, then all of a sudden you got to pay bills and you got to do all kinds of stuff. Then all of a sudden it becomes an easy way to keep small business out. And I love the example you gave. I love those excuses, right? They Mm -hmm. said it doesn't have to be true, just believable. And what I've heard is you say they don't have capacity. It doesn't have to be true, just believable. So I can tell if once they give that small minority contract to that stigma, Oh, don't worry about them. They don't have capacity. And then, oh, not us. You talked about those contractors. They got their foot in the door and they ain't worried about nobody else. So I love the fact that an organization like NAMAC and more particularly you leading, keeping an eye to be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, we got to share the information. 
You know, we got to help the community. And I love that. Is that something that you've kind of had to arm wrestle as you got involved in AMAC? I mean, did you have to embarrass, I mean, you know, we'll get into business. You have to embarrass anybody. I mean, that's a hard thing to navigate, right? When, you, like you said, when you got us who are not really following the rules or really helping the community, has that been hard for you? Oh, yeah. I mean, the politics are, the politics, they're incredible. You know, you're you're fighting those politics. You're educate. But my thing is, you have to educate the politicians because they're going to run to the politicians, right? Those and those those uh, city council members and the commissioner court. So yeah, that's a challenge. And you have to go in behind all of some of this nonsense, right? And then you're like going, wait a minute. There are things that can happen, but you guys gonna have to open up your eyes and understand what's going on out here. So yeah, I'm you know I know I walk around <laughs> with a target in my back all the time, but you know what? It doesn't matter because as long as I see our membership growing and people making money, because to me capacity, it's not just having your name on a project. It's like how much money are you making? How many people are you hiring? Did you expand your office? You know, or, you know, what do you bring? And you know, and even not to say, I saw Tracy put something in the in the, um, in the chat. I mean, she's a prime example. I know how she started. I've been knowing her for over a decade, almost a couple of decades now. And and you can go back and you can look and see how they have truly built their business. And I'm talking about as a self-performing contractor, not just someone out there throwing staff or staff augmentation. There's a big difference because contracting and construction and construction management i mean it's i mean it's a lot and it's a lot to take in and yeah you get out there and people aren't gonna like you people tell me all the time you're either gonna love her or hate her you know but just love me because i'm gonna look out for my people i'm gonna look out for my people and i'm gonna do everything i can to make sure that they're being successful and they succeed I love it. I love it. I love it. And I echo that growth opportunity because, you know, what it means to grow from just one truck, you know, with a welder on the back to a large organization that takes work and that takes time. Tell me this. Two questions. Um, as we begin to wrap up, I heard about some current events down in Houston. I heard in Houston, they I think a bunch of people, they what were they doing? They were um you know, trying to cut out small businesses or something like that. I mean, it's almost like they got a whole corruption scheme or something they're working on down there. Have you heard about that story? I haven't, to be honest. I mean, we got so much going on here in North Texas. Mm. <laughs> we have so much going on here in North Texas. I, I really haven't been keeping up with Houston. Now, we do have a name act chapter down in Houston. So I don't know. I, I don't, I don't, to be honest, I, I can't even... Well, you know, it, it's, as you would say, more of the same, right? right? You know, no matter where you go, you have to have people who keep an eye on these things. Tell me this, you have, you guys have a conference coming up, you know, yes. tell us about the conference and what's next for you. Um, Tamika's going to share some of the, um, your contact information in the chat, but tell us about what's coming on, what's going on with your, your next um, chapter initiative and what you guys have planned for the next few years. Yeah. Well, with, um, What's coming up soon, um, you know, well, first of all, we meet the second Tuesday of every month and we have not missed a meeting. Maybe one about five years ago was during spring break or something. Something came up, but we meet the second Tuesday of every month. Um, next next week's meeting is going to be held at Texas Live. That's the big entertainment venue there in Arlington. Um, and we're going to be kicking off our Golden Shovel Awards and Business Expo. 
we are expecting to have about 400 people in attendance there. Uh, it's going to be at Globe Life. That's the new Texas Rangers Stadium um, in Arlington, Texas. And we're just going to, it's just going to be the showcase. It's going to be the premiere of all the construction events. You know, it, it's going to be the premiere events where we give real golden shovels to the awardees. Um, we have Daryl McKissick as our keynote speaker. We have Dee Dee McGuire. That's going to be our MC. I don't know if you guys know about Dee Dee McGuire, but she's on 104.5, one of our um, good morning, uh, Dee Dee in the morning show here in the Dallas area. And I think she's syndicated all over the, you know, all over the country. We're going to have our local mayors, Mayor Evans, Mayor Ross, Mayor Evans in Mansfield, Mayor Ross in, out of Arlington will be there. We have uh, some special guests coming out of USDOT out of DC that's going to be in attendance. Um, so it's just, we're going to just going to be recognizing all the accomplishments of our local, con our contractors here in the DFW area. Oh, I love it. That just sounds beautiful. It sounds like a good time and also sounds like a long time coming. I love the fact that you guys are celebrating your own because just think about these new small up and coming contractors who get a chance to say, hey, I've won the Golden Shovel Award and to begin to build on that. And is, this is your first um, big Golden Shovel event or? It's actually our third. The third. Our, our third Golden Shovel this sounds like you guys are getting ready to kind of launch out of space. This one sounds a little different, though. What do you think? <laughs> you know, this one is going to be bigger. This is going to be one of the largest ones. Um, I, and I don't know if it's because of the venue or just people just ready to get out. But I tell you, the, the nominations that are coming in and the the registrations that are coming in. I mean, it's pretty incredible of, of what's going on right now with it. And, and, and I know that it's the right thing because it's not hard. You know what I mean? When people just kind of jump in and it's not hard, you're like, you know what? We should be doing this. This is where we should be going. This is the direction we should be going in. Well, you know, thank you, Demetra, for sharing your story. And I'll tell you why. Is we have a national audience here at Southern Soul. And oftentimes I talk to people and sometimes people think it's just easy, right? Be like, oh, DFW, that's a large area. Somebody's already doing that. Oh, building a community from scratch. Oh, I'm pretty sure somebody's already doing that. And what you have shown us is that within the last seven to 10 years, you guys went from nothing to something. And still, I hear that is a lot of work to be done to make sure that even though a lot of national money is flowing into Texas, into the Dallas area, like you said, one project, $3 billion dollars. One, and that means about 300 million for minority contractors, that still is not a slam dunk to make sure that we get access to that information, that revenue, and are not being cut out by simple things that aren't true, just believable. Oh, they don't have capacity because we've seen it ourselves. We've seen an organization like 10 Man Welding grow from one truck and a welding to a large organization that essentially can meet the capacity as needed. But I would love for you to just kind of wrap up anything you would like to share with the audience. Um, this recording, uh, we are recording. So let us know anything else you would like us to know about how to support you guys, or, you know, how to get the message out. If we have friends and family members in the DFW area, what's your membership and how they can participate in your organization? Oh, absolutely. So we have a website. It's www.namcdfw.org. You can go on there. You can see the board members, our events, our activities. You can become a member. You can look at the programs that we offer. And, you know, we're looking for, we're looking to get those contractors and nobody 
want to look at. You know, nobody is paying attention to them, but we want to bring them in and, and, and help them grow and succeed. Um, the other uh, thing I do want to mention, you know, uh, when I started out, even though I am the executive director and the founder of NAMAC DFW, we also, DLB, we also are a trade contractor. We pivoted last year during COVID. And that's why I'm here in Benville, Arkansas right now. I've been, and matter of fact, I'll be in Atlanta uh, the 17th, 18th, and 19th doing an OSHA class. So just don't, you know, if you want to get in this industry, I mean, it's wide open. Just be fearless and just go out there and just do it. You know, there's so many opportunities in construction. Everybody don't have to be in the field. You can be an estimator. If you got management skills, you can go in there and do superintendent, project management. You know, I wish I would have, uh, I wish I would have done this 25, 30 years ago. I would literally think I would have a, a building with my name on it if I would have done this 30 years ago. Awesome. Y'all heard it here first. There is money in construction. And make sure that there's 22 chapters out there with NAMAC where you can find community training and support. Thank you, Demetra, for being here with us at Southern Soul. Thank you for, you know, sharing your story. Thank you for being so courageous and being you. As they say, you're either going to love her or you're not. And we appreciate it. We love you here at Southern Soul. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us at Southern Soul Livestream Talk Show. Join us weekly at soullivestream.com. If you're joining us live, we'll take a quick music break and then come back for a discussion with the audience.